Welcome to the Bethel Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Eric Johnson. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit ibethel.org. I'm excited to talk today because this is actually a conversation, a topic that I'm deeply passionate about. And if you haven't figured it out, um, I'm the kind of guy that likes to live in my head. And I'd like to know if there's anyone else in this room that you find yourself living in your head more than outside of your head. Now, how many of you um, are external processors? Put your hand up. Okay, I don't understand you. I don't, I don't have a grid for you. I've been around enough of, them, of you. I'm like treating you like a people group. No, I've, I've been around enough external processors that I just make it entertaining. It's like, wow, this is so entertaining to watch people externally process. It's so fascinating. And I, I'm, the whole time I'm like, if you would have thought about it first, it would have came out better. But no, you, you wanted to say it. And I love how external process, like, I don't know what to think until it comes out. And then I think about it. I'm like, that is so foreign to me. I'm like, how could you live with yourself? <laughs> but I love you. I, I, lo- I, love that about, I love that about us, is that we've got people that think more internally and others think very externally. And it's good. You're, you are good for me. You keep me on edge, and I learn so much from you. And honestly, I would say in the last year, I've become a little bit better at externally processing. Have I? I'm getting, oh, ooh. My wife just said something that hurts a little, but that's okay. She just said, you're getting healthier. Oh, Chris, can you come up? And, no, I'm kidding. Today, I gotta get off, I gotta get moving. I'm gonna lose. We're gonna talk afterwards, okay. The title of today's message is The Lost Art of Imagination. The Lost Art of Imagination. I want to talk about imagination today for so many reasons. I'm obviously constrained with time, which is good. But I want to talk about this because I do believe it's something that is incredibly valuable. It's actually quite remarkable. When When you stop for a second or a minute and think about the ability to imagine something. Isn't it fascinating? It's intriguing to me that right now in this room, you can start thinking about something that totally isn't real. You can imagine something that isn't yet. Like I could say in this room right now, we need to develop a chapstick that doesn't melt in Reading. Every one of you can picture that, and every one of you go, man, I wonder if that's possible. I know it's possible. I wish someone would do it. Kennedy, my daughter, showed me her chapstick this morning, and it's November. She was like, look, Dad, my chapstick melted. Yep, that is the plight of living in Reading. It melted chapstick. I can say pink elephant, and everyone in this room, you can imagine. That's fascinating that you and I have the ability to think of something that is invisible, and it becomes so real. In fact, sometimes our imagination is more real than reality. I don't want to get weird on you, and I'm not, not trying to get mind over matter at all, but I want to accentuate this. I want to highlight this remarkable gift that God had given you and I. And I think sometimes, and, and give me a little bit of grace when I say what I'm about to say, but I think sometimes in, in the charismatic world, we, we sometimes relegate imagination to like third or fourth level, like, oh, that's for, you know, that's, no, 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 I want to say that it is crucial. It is actually, I believe it's what keeps us alive. Your imagination is what you make, makes you feel alive. I actually think it's one of the reasons why we all get up. 
or at least excited to get up in the morning because you've imagined something that isn't yet and you go, today the day closer. People ask me all the time, Eric, how do you stay encouraged for your miracle, for your breakthrough years, decades later? I said, oh, I'm, I've already dreamt of the day. I mean, I've been, I have, my day, when that day comes, when I get my full healing, my, my whole day is so full of activities, of things that both of you get to enjoy that I don't. I have it all planned out. Why did that? That's my imagination painting a target. I get up every day and I'm getting one day closer to that because I've imagined it. I've actually thought about it. I plotted it and it only gets updated. That day, that first day of healing, I, it, it only gets updated at technology advances. Like, oh, I can't wait to experience that. Why? Because I've imagined it. And I think for some of us, we'd actually stop imagining. In the Bible, you guys know the verse, Proverbs 29, uh, 18, it says, without a vision, people perish. The word vision actually means a dream and a revelation. Without, without something that isn't yet, you don't fully live. You just kind of go around the mountain again and again. And what I have found in my own life, and I know in your, because I, I interact with so many of you, sometimes we get stuck in the cycle of life. We we experience the same situation over and over. We're like, man, when is this going to end? And, and the people that I know that they break the cycle, obviously the power of God is involved. And I'm not trying to diminish that, but just work with me for a second. I think sometimes we don't realize how powerful the imagination really is. It's an incredible motivator. It's a catalyzer. It, it's actually what it gets you up. And I think sometimes when we're in a cycle of life, until you start thinking about something outside of your situation, most of the time you just keep repeating life. And it's not until we actually think about something that isn't yet that actually helps us to break a cycle in our own life. I remember uh, Danny Silk, um, for my first book, Momentum, I did an interview with him. I was, I was trying to, um, for me, I, I come from many generations of the faith. I come from many generations of Christian heritage, and I'm extremely grateful for it. But sometimes when I talk about it, I run into people like, well, I don't have that kind of background. Like, well, I need to share the, the incredible privilege that it is to start a momentum. So I said, Danny, tell me your story. So I sat down with Danny in our office, and I said, Danny, tell me your story. And, and he shared, and it's in the book. You can read it. From the age of 15 to 21, 35 different men lived in his home with his mom. At the age of 15, his grandma gave him a box of condoms. So his entire worldview around intimacy and love was that. And I think it was 21 years old before him and Sherry got married, he stepped foot inside Mountain Chapel in Weaverville, California. And this is what he said. He said, I walked into church and I saw husbands that loved their wives and they've been married for decades. And he said, I had never seen that before. And he thought to himself, this was his quote, I knew it was possible. Once he saw it, and if you know Danny and Sherry's story, he'll say it out. I've heard him say, he said, my first 15 years of our marriage was hell. In fact, this is kind of the funny part of the story. My dad did the counseling, and they do like this compatibility test, and they send in the results and get the results back, and it kind of helps with the compatibility. Well, the test results for Danny and Sherry came back, and there's a post-it note on it that said, Bill, make, do whatever you can to make sure these two don't get married. And it wasn't until after they were married that my dad said, oh, I forgot to tell you. <laughs> Quite funny. Danny's like, what? <laughs> but guess who's one of the leading voices for marriage? 
for relationship and health, Danny and Sherry. I like to propose to you that didn't, someone didn't just hand that to them. They actually imagined something that wasn't yet. And because of the ability to think of something that hadn't happened yet, it wasn't actually evident in their own life, is what motivated them to go a one day closer, one day closer. And here they are today, especially for this house and this movement, they are our go-tos for marriage, relationship, and connection. I mean, they are, Danny, we need you again. Sherry, we need you again. Because they imagined something that they hadn't yet experienced. And I think sometimes life hands us a deck of cards in some ways. And I'm telling you, I believe imagination is more powerful than we give credit to. Some of, some of us in this room have actually lost our ability to dream and imagine. We've stopped picturing or we've stopped dreaming of that day. Are you like me where I like to read the book before I watch the movie? You're not? Okay, then it's just, I'm by myself. Okay. I'm that guy, like Hunger Games. When Hunger Games movies were coming out, I was like, I got to read the books first. Because I, whenever I read the book before the movie, my imagination is so much better than what the screen can show me. And I remember because why? Once you watch the movie and then read the book, when you actually read the book after you watch the movie, have you noticed that you can't think outside of what you've seen? Because someone else's imagination limited your own imagination. So that's why I love reading books. I'm like, man, this, and you get to that one scene in the book, you're like, oh, that scene's in the movie. And they do, you're like, that's it? I saw it totally different than the way it showed on that screen. That's the power of imagination. It's the ability to create something that no one else, and the thing about imagination and dreaming is there's no natural law that you follow. Have you noticed in dreams, like when you have a dream last night or last week and you know, you're, you're flying and then all of a sudden you're in another country and you're driving a car here and then the next moment you're in, in this, and it's, it's humanly impossible to do everything you did in that moment. But in dreams and in imagination, there are no natural limitations. You actually can think outside the box. And I think that is crucial. I love superhero movies. I love Marvel specifically. Why do I like Marvel? Because it, it's totally not going to happen that way. These super, these, the way they punch and they fly halfway across the planet, you know that's not even going to happen in this lifetime. But I love the fact that we can think about it and have fun with the idea like, man, that'd be amazing if you had that superpower and you did that. That's why I love this imagination thing. And I want to challenge you. Some of us have lost, we've lost our ability to imagine. Maybe life is actually determined. I, I actually believe this. I, I actually, you may agree with me or not, but I actually believe the enemy, one of his enemy's goals is to get you to stop imagining. I actually think the enemy, if he can get you to stop imagining, he can leave you alone. I believe you let the enemy into your heart and your mind and you stop dreaming of a day. You stop imagining what could be. If he can get you to dial that down or, or kill that thing in you, he said, I'm going to leave Eric alone and I'm going to go on to something else. Why? Because you'll stay in the same cycle of life. You'll stay in the same place. And you and I are not designed that way. We are not designed to stay in the same place. We are designed to be moving forward into something that isn't but can be. Remember that moment where God takes the prophet over the valley of dry bones and says, what do you see? He says, I do see dry bones. And what does God say? That's not what I see. So it's amazing what happens when God speaks over your life and he says, this is what I see. It's amazing. You can either partner with what you see or you can go, oh, really? 
This is the valley of thirst, flesh and bone. They're, they're rattling. I don't see that, but I know you do. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to imagine what God sees. This is why I love prophetic words. I got voice memos of prophetic words for years on my phone now. And I often go back and listen to them and I go, oh, that one hasn't happened yet. I love receiving a prophetic word because you begin to expect and imagine, oh, that could totally happen. And it's one of the reasons what motivates us to chase after Jesus because he is always stepping into what he promised that we could actually step into. So today, there's really a conversation about about imagination. I remember years ago, uh, this 15, 18 years ago, when Candace and I were youth pastors up in Weaverville, I had this young man in, in our youth group, and he came into my office, and I believe it was his third girl that he got pregnant. And I had been with him through the first two. I think this was the third one, second or third, but it, it happened before I remember that. And he was just, uh, he, he, when he got his first girl pregnant, he was so embarrassed, shameful, mad at himself, and wanting to get his life in order, and so he made decisions, and I was there for some of that to help him, and, and then it felt like six months, nine months later, he fell again and got another girl pregnant, so this was like a pattern in his life. So now he's in my office, and guess what? He tells me, I, I got someone pregnant, and it was a nasty, it wasn't, obviously that was a bummer, but it was within the context of a party, and it just got really, it was really tragic and sad, and he was just extremely shameful, mad at himself, and the whole works. And I'm like, I don't know how to help this guy. I mean, this is like the third one. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. You obviously are doing this. This is obviously your decision. And he just gutted. And I finally stopped and said, I want you to tell me, what do you want in life? What is it? What, what do you want in life? And he looked at me and he said, this, I want a family like yours. I want to marry someone I genuinely love. And I want to have children. I want to have a family like yours. And I said, okay. That's what you're going for then. And guess what? 15, 18 years later, he's married, has two kids, and he has that thing that he imagined. There's something about the ability to imagine. In this room, everything in this room, besides the person you're sitting next to, that idea came from the heart of God. But everything else in this room was once an idea in someone's mind the chair you're sitting on. At some point in history, someone said, I'm done sitting on a rock. <laughs> I'm done with this. So uncomfortable. It doesn't fit the contours that are necessary. It's just not fun and it's cold. And at some point in history, as, as history progressed, someone thought of, what if we created a four-legged object with something to lean up again? And voila, here we are today sitting in nice, comfortable chairs. The lights, the camera, the carpet, the clothing, everything that you see in this room besides the human being you're sitting next to was once an idea in someone's mind. One day I'm driving down the hill, and this is when we lived in the neighborhood near Simpson. And I'm driving down the hill and I hit the stoplight on Churn Creek, and I am having this conversation with God, and I said something like this. I wasn't complaining, but I was definitely like, hey God, I haven't had any new ideas. I, I haven't heard your voice. I haven't got any revelation. And he instantly said, what have you done with the ones I've already given you? So that was like 10 years ago. I haven't asked him for anything new. I'm like, I just want to be a good steward of what's already going on. But there is something about imagination. Elon Musk, one of the greatest imaginative people on the planet today, sitting in L.A. traffic just a few years ago and was so disgusted with L.A. traffic. I don't know how people in L.A. do it. We get like five people to stop signing red and go like, dang, the traffic, this is rush hour. 
It's so true. How long it take to get to the store? Eight minutes? Nah, it's too long. I'm not going. I'm not going to the store today. In Weaverville, it actually works. If it was over three minutes, nah, I'm not going to the store. It's too, too long. Too long of a drive. But Elon Musk is sitting in LA traffic and he thinks, I can't stand this traffic. Instead of being like the millions of others on the highway that day of just complaining and observing traffic, he thought, how can we fix this? So he came up with this idea. We're going to build a tunnel system underneath LA called the Hyperloop. We're going to put these cars in these pods and they're going to shoot across subterranean pods at hundreds of miles per hour and get to our destination much, much quicker. And sure enough, he find the, found the company, hired the team, and now they're working on that as we speak. And they're prototyped already in motion. But that's the difference between people that have imaginative ideas, and he actually does them. I wonder if we actually acted on 1% of the ideas that go through our minds. Wonder what would happen. I wonder what happened if the church actually stepped into something. And, and now, for my own life, and I'm talking about the last 40 years. So this is not an exhaustive explanation of church history, but just give me a little bit of grace on the last 42 years. I grew up in a Christian home, and so listening to secular music was forbidden. Like, you don't listen to anything if it doesn't talk about the gospel, the Jesus, or the blood, or something. And so I'm going to be gentle, but a lot of Christian music growing up was just knockoff version of the real thing. It was... Nobody's laughing. Okay, all right. Well... <laughs> That was the world I lived in, all right? So give me some empathy on this. And so Christian music was, it was always inferior. It wasn't quite awesome. And then you go over to your friend's house, you're like, now there's the real music. Can I, can I move here? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but it was always the better version of what we had. So I know in the last 40 years of my own life, I've seen the church rapidly fast forward to, wow, what's coming out of the church today? It's actually quite impressive. It's rivaling creativity outside of the, of the faith. And that's the day and age that we live in. I want to challenge, I don't care if you're 90 years old or if you're two years old. We have to be people that imagine. We have to be people that actually dream of something that isn't yet. We are designed that way. It's actually innate in us. In fact, I don't, if you're not imagining, I don't know what's going on. Something clogging the machine. And today's a good day to get free because imagination, I believe, is what makes you feel alive. It asks you what helps you to get up in the morning. It's what, who, who in the world signs up to go to university, go $100,000 in debt? Why? Could you imagine what it would be like to have a degree? You, we do dumb things for imagination. Oh yeah, let's, let's take a half a million dollar loan for that idea. We do it, why? Because we're convinced it, it moves us forward. It actually gives essence to breathing again. And I want to challenge you. It's a day and age to imagine. It's a day and age to think beyond the human bounds of natural limitations. Today is the day to actually go farther. Have you noticed um, how addicted we are to phones? I'm being sarcastic on that, of course. It's amazing how, how, how much this takes our attention. And there's a new feature, or newer, I should say, uh, of screen time. At the end of the week, it gives you an update. A notification comes up, and I'm always excited. I'm like, did I, did I do? Oh, no, I, I looked at my phone way too much in the last week. Well, last week, we were in Montana hunting, as you know, with our annual family trip hunting. So I was out of range and in the mountains a lot, so wasn't really on my phone because I'm hunting. So I got my end of the week green time, 
30% less usage than the previous week. I'm like, yes. But then I go, wait, I wasn't even on my phone for five days. I was up in the mountain. I made up for it in the airport. I, I used up all that 30%. But it's amazing. They're, they're, they've, done, they've been doing a lot of studies lately around this. I want to read this to you. So listen to this. Americans check their phone on average once every 12 minutes, burying their heads in the phone 80 times a day. According to new research, a study by global tech protection and support company Assyrian found that the average person struggles to go little more than 10 minutes without checking their phones. And of the 2,000 people surveyed, one in 10 checked their phones on average once every four minutes. So in the entirety of this message, the time that we have this morning, everyone in this room has checked their phone anywhere from four to 11 times. It's crazy. I look at my phone for no purpose. I just turn it on. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Like, what am I doing, checking the time? I guess I want to know if, if two minutes have gone. I don't know. We, we just constantly go there. And we secretly hope someone texted us. Oh, good, I got something to do. And we just... We all relate to this. The survey also found that separation anxiety is indeed real. As a matter of fact, 31% feel regular anxiety at any point when separated from the phone, and 60% report experiencing occasional stress when the phone is off or out of reach. Like, I'm stressed out that my phone is 10 feet away. Not really. Listen to this. No wonder then, uh, then that Americans would go to some extreme length to keep their phone. Listen to this. A third of respondents would rather give up sex for a week than go one day without their device. I cannot relate to that. And 62% were for ter- Sorry, I'm so... I don't know why I just did that. That's embarrassing. <laughs> hey, I'm opening up. I'm getting, I'm getting healthier. <laughs> Introverts unite. No, I'm kidding. Okay. 62% would prefer to go a week without chocolate than lose their phone for just one day. <laughs> Depending on what kind. Hershey's, yes. Swiss chocolate, mm, that's a good question. Okay, perhaps an example of just how crucial our phones are becoming comes in the revelation that four in 10 Americans would rather lose their voice for a day than lose their phone for 24 hours. Have you noticed there's a lot of conversation around detoxing from social media and phones? So I think we actually, as, as a people, we realize we are so overly consumed with these devices. And I've wondered if our imagination has actually gotten less because we're so consumed with someone else's. Yeah. Much like reading the book before the movie or watching the movie before you read the book. Now, Kim, do we need to completely bag these? No, but I think we need to learn to create space. It's amazing. In the moment of silence is sometimes the best place to be. I've been making it a habit, and I wouldn't say I'm the best at it, but I'm getting better at it. Sometimes I'll, I'll drive to work, which is about a 15-minute drive, and I won't listen to any music, any pod, and I love podcasts. I won't listen to anything. I will just think. I had a professor in college whose name was uh, Professor Bobo, was his name. He was the coolest guy. I, I didn't enjoy his classes. I just really liked him. He taught systematic theology and some other theology classes, 
And so the systematic theology class, you're like, what is it? It's exactly how it sounds. It, it's systematic theology. And it was not exciting. I remember one or two things he said, and other than that, I honestly do not know how I passed that class. I think I retained the information long enough to get it on paper, and then it left me. I mean, it was just... But this guy was just one of the, he's like 80 something years old and he loved God and he loved the Bible and he loved students. And so that was infectious. I mean, you just love this guy. Look forward to hearing him talk. He had a rad little accent. He was from Blue Lake, California, which is right over here near Eureka. And just this wonderful man. And he said something one day that marked me for life. He said, every day I sit in a chair for 20 minutes with no music, nothing. And I just let my mind wander. And I thought, that's cool. I needed to do that. So literally, like that day or the next day, and if you live in dormitories on college campuses, usually if there's furniture out in the hallway, it usually means it's free. It's up for grabs. So I walked in my dorm. I think it was that day or the next day, and there was this cool little black sofa chair in the hallway. I thought, oh, sweet. I'm gonna, this is my chair, Professor Bobo, blah, blah, blah. So I grabbed the chair. I drug it into my room, and I made it a habit every day because my class schedule and my roommate's class schedule were opposite. And so they'd be in class when I had a break. And so I would go back to my dorm, and I would just sit in this chair. And I started out, according to him, 20 minutes a day. But some days I would spend hours in this chair because I let my mind wander. And honestly, it became some of the sweetest times with myself and the Lord. It was just unbelievable what happened in those moments when I just let my imagination go. And it was so fun to see the Lord commune with me in my imagination. And it wasn't be like told later, like an hour in, I'm like, I'm totally talking to God. And I didn't even realize it. I'm just so caught up. And I think we've lost some of that. I think we, we need to get back to some of those things where we're just creating space in our life. Sometimes uh, there's a really beautiful sunset and I want to take a photo. And I say, no, no, don't take a photo. Enjoy the moment. Just let that be the only imprint on your mind instead of being distracted by taking a photo. I love photos. I got too many, to be honest with you. But there are certain, I remember the three best cups of coffee I've ever had in my life. And I didn't take a photo of it. (laughs) Two of them because the phone really didn't have the camera capabilities yet. But honestly, I'm teaching myself Don't take a photo of this moment. Just enjoy it for what it is. And let it go into your heart and your mind. And let it just be your own private internal photo. One cup of coffee was actually in Nicaragua. It was across from the Catholic Church there. And Ben and Sheena George were getting ready to move down there. They were on our staff and their missionaries there. And and Ben said, the best cup of coffee is in this coffee shop. So we walk in and and there's this, uh, on the barista, there's a sign and they had just one uh, the contest for all of Central America as the best coffee. And so I ordered a cappuccino. Whenever I travel, I like cappuccinos for some reason. So I don't make them at home, but at home it's just straight black, but on the road it's cappuccino. So I ordered the cappuccino. I'm not kidding you. I took a sip. I went right back to the register and I'll take, I'll take another cappuccino. And then I went and sat down. It was incredibly good. No photo. But in my mind, it had burned and I'll never forget that moment. Another great cup of coffee was in Norway. Waiting for, the, waiting for you. And it was this rad little cafe that was built into a rock cliff. And all the walls were made out of the boulders from this cliff. And it was just rock cabin-ish and this little fire and quaint and didn't have anything flashy about it. I remember walking in there with a couple of Norwegian friends and we ordered this cup of coffee and we sat down. And I'm like, this is incredible. And part of it was the whole experience, not just the actual content of it in my cup, but it was the whole experience. And the other cup of coffee, I don't know why I'm telling you this. I'm just feeling like talking about this right now. 
Some of you are like, I can't wait till this is over because I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. <laughs> I'm helping you imagine right now. Can you feel it with me? So I'm in my house. I had one of my longtime friends, Josh Harper, Charlie and Julie's son, who's my, one of my oldest friends. And he would go into UC Davis and we were youth pastors in Weaverville. So he came up to visit and we got up early in the morning, like 7.30 in the morning. And I, I grind the beans and I do pour overs. And, and we literally, not intentionally, both took a sip at the exact same time. And we both took a sip and we both went, and we both literally almost in unison, this is incredible. But you see, those are the beauty of just creating space in your life and let those moments just live in you and not on some device. I think we need to learn how to get back to the art of imagination again. We need to get back to the art of living in the moment and just absorbing those moments instead of getting pulled in a million different directions. There's an interesting conversation around imagination and creativity. How many would say all kids are creative? I don't think no one ever disagrees with that. Pablo Picasso says, uh, let me find this quote real quick here. <clears throat> Every child is an artist. The problem is how to remain an artist once we grow up. And there's this interesting dialogue around Every child is an artist, but once you get to adult, there's a subset of people that are creative. Isn't it interesting that something is lost along the way to adulthood? And some say, well, it's good responsibility. You have to, you have to pay the bills and work. And... No, that's not, that's not entirely true. They actually, they actually did a study. In a, let me read this to you. Uh, Dr. Stephanie Carlson, an expert on childhood brain development at the University of Minnesota. Kids spend as much as two-thirds of their time in non-reality, in imaginative play. Other experts have also noted children's aptitude for creativity. They did this little, um, this little test, and they told the kids, you could have one marshmallow, or you can wait for someone to come back, and they'll give you more than one marshmallow. So as they were waiting, the researchers were studying the kids, and during the waiting period, the kids who successfully waited used imagination to help them wait. They would pretend to eat the treat, imaginary marshmallow, or they would feed it to an imaginary friend. Or they would use symbolic strategy to wait, like singing a song, I'm waiting. <laughs> What's the point? That imagination became helpful for self-control. So we talk about responsibility, self-control of the adult. Listen, imagination actually enables you to do that. So we have, have, how many of you noticed, how many have kids and you gave them a cardboard box? You spent $100 on a toy and you gave them a cardboard box. And that's what they want to play with. I remember my parents bought a refrigerator when I was little, and the their fridge came in a box. It was huge. That was our fort. That was our spaceship. That was our car. It was our bedroom for a couple days until it was, uh, we cut windows into it. We had shuttered. What is that? A child has the ability to take something mundane and make it even better. The power of imagination is real. All great revivalists have this incredible ability to see something that isn't. Amy Simple McPherson, she thought in her head, what if we brought all the light, sound, music, art, drama, theater, what if we brought it into the church and actually let that be the medium to communicate the power of the gospel? And she broke every rule in the book. I mean, people, she got so bashed for these ideas that no one was doing. Because she imagined something and she was willing to pay the price for it. And then now she goes down in history as one of the most celebrated revivalists. 
Why? Because she broke the norm. She saw something that no one else did. And today in church, it's uncommon if there's not something creative happening in the church. And we got to thank Amy Simple McPherson for that because she was able to communicate the gospel through an imagination, through creativity, and people got radically saved and healed and set free by the thousands. So I believe revivalists actually see something that isn't. You in this room are imagining the day when everyone with cancer gets healed. What is that? We are imagining a future that isn't yet. And that's what keeps us alive. That's what motivates us to take one step closer to seeing it into fruition. Now I'm going to start yelling at you. I'm kidding. <laughs> There's three things I want to leave with you. I believe that your calling and mission life is directly connected to your ability to imagine. One of you. Okay. It's <laughs> awesome. So moving. Whoever you are, I love you. No, I seriously, I believe that your calling and mission in life is directly connected to your ability to imagine it. I don't know one human being that has stepped into who God called them to be when they didn't know it beforehand. They're not like, oh, wow, this is my calling. No, 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 they've dreamt about it. They got posters on their wall someday. I just watched a documentary uh, this weekend. Uh, Coldplay just came out, which happened to be my favorite band. They came out with another documentary. And if you don't like Coldplay, I'm sorry. Something's wrong with you. I don't know what to tell you. I can pray for you at the end of ministry. No, I'm kidding. But seriously, they, they, they did a 20-year um, documentary of the band's history. And what's crazy, the moment they became a little band, they had a friend that recorded everything. So they got this old, old footage. And at the very beginning of this hour and a half documentary, there was this moment where, and it's old footage, back in 1998. And they got the camera, and, and Chris Martin, who's the lead singer, he comes up, and he's just spry, funky, much like he dances on stage, that's how he is normally. And he comes up to the camera, and he said this very thing. We, John Buckland, Chris Martin, world champion, and Guy Martin, a.k.a. Coldplay, are going to go on to be such a huge band, and this will be on national TV within four years. This is now the 26th of June, 1998, and by the 26th of June, 2002, Coldplay or the band, whatever we call ourselves, will be known just all over. We're going to be so big. So Will, Guy, John, and Chris, don't forget that, all right. And then he dances off the camera onto the field. Four years later, they ended up playing in the largest music festival going on at the time. What's my point? He imagined what he was going to do. I'm telling you, there's something about imagination that we need to tap back into. Three things. Go back to the three things. I believe your calling and mission in life is in direct connection to your ability to imagine. When the Lord calls you something, begin to dream about it. Put it on the wall. Write it on your mirror every morning. Whatever you do, keep it in front of you. Because the enemy will intentionally try to get you to look at something else and look at circumstances. Second one, don't let life take your imagination away refute, fight for your imagination. Eric, you don't understand my life. I'm going back and around. Yeah, the one thing that will help you is you start dreaming about something different. What could be? Just like Danny said, I didn't know it was possible. I didn't know that a healthy marriage was even possible. And once he saw it, he began to dream about it. And last but not least, imagination builds and rebuilds humanity. It has the ability to rebuild your life. And something that we all experience, especially for us here in Reading in this region, after the car fire, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been, I drove around uh, the city this weekend just doing some errands. 
my wife and I were uh, doing some things around town, and I, I looked over at her, I said, there's a different vibe in Reading right now. We had an electrician come over to our house on Saturday to take a look at something that I needed to have done around the house, and I need a good friend. I said, hey, man, how's your business going? What, what do you, he's like, we are so busy right now, and this is, not inclu- this is not counting the car fire home rebuild. This is just normal construction. We are beyond slam. There's such a building vibe going on in our city right now. And I don't know if you remember, but in the middle of the car fire, when it was still happening, the firefighter, I believe he was from Southern California, was part of a fire group that came up to help fight the fire. He wrote a letter to the record searchlight, and he said something to this effect. He said, this fire did not divide your city. It actually brought your city together. And then he contrasted it with another fire he fought a, several de- or a couple decades ago. He said, when I fought a fire in this particular region... It actually divided the city. It didn't bring them together. And I want to tell you something right now. Our ability to imagine Reading, what it could be, or Chastelay, or Anderson, or whatever city you're a part of, in NorCal or you're visiting, your ability to imagine what could be is what will cause your city to be rebuilt. So this imagination thing isn't just about your calling, your mission, your ability to wake up and be motivated. It actually is crucial to the rebuilding of humanity, the rebuilding of life, and the rebuilding of cities. So I want to challenge you today that the moment you leave this room, that you'll be inspired to take time in your life and just let your mind imagine what could be. Maybe you're in this room and, and your marriage is falling apart or you've had a failed marriage, guess what? Start dreaming about one that is the healthiest one you've ever seen. Maybe parents in this room, you're estranged from your children. Start dreaming about that day when there's a reuniting. Start, maybe your business is in a really bad spot. Start dreaming about what it would be when your business is thriving. Take the time to dream about this. Imagine the day when every wheelchair that comes through that back door is empty by the end of the day. Start, let's, let's, let's take our imagination to a whole nother level because it's actually what keeps us moving forward. So the lost art of imagination, let's regain what I believe is one of the most remarkable gifts God has given us is the ability to imagine. So why don't you stand? <clears throat> I want to pray for you. And then I want to give people an opportunity. So if you could close your eyes, go ahead and stand to your feet, close your eyes for a moment. I want to pray for us, for the family of the house, for Bethel TV and anyone on the podcast. Father, we ask that this house, this family, we would not, we would not lose the art of imagination. What I believe is one of the most remarkable things you have given us is the ability to dream and imagine. And I pray for every person in this room that if we've lost some of it, that we'd regain it today. And I pray for others in this room that we would actually imagine beyond what we've ever imagined, no matter where we're at in this spectrum, but we'd actually dream again. And I pray for people that are caught in the cycle of life or caught in the cycle of situation, that this would be their key to unlock their breakthrough. And Father, I pray that you teach us the dream of the day. Teach us that we're one day closer to the day that we've imagined. And Father, we've been declaring for decades now that this would be a cancer-free zone. This should be a sickness-free zone. And I pray that we would again reimagine that. So when we live our lives day in and day out, we are dreaming of that day. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. 
This weekly podcast is now being translated into several languages. Visit podcasts.ibethel.org.